We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, grab a few Bible, page 976. Uh, That's going to be our spiritual food for this morning. And I'm really thankful uh, to be here to preach this morning, to teach. And I I pray and I've asked the Lord that it would be His words that speak to us as we close out uh, this important series. It's been 500 years now since Martin Luther uh, nailed the 95 Theses on the uh, church door, All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany. And uh, from that time, the Reformation began and continued even to this day. And, uh, and we've been through the five solas. Uh, just a note, by the way, uh, we're going to be next week starting our new sermon series in Habakkuk, uh, the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk, and it's going to be an exciting thing. We're going to get back to our normal schedule. We're going to have uh, Tim in the pulpit again, and, and uh, uh, we, we have fun with each other as a pastoral staff, and we joke around about uh, different things, and, uh, and so I give Tim a, a real hard time a lot of times, but I am really thankful for his pulpit ministry, and me and my family have been blessed, and it's a kind of a, it's a nice thing to, to hear from our other uh, pastors, our other campus pastors, um, but it's always good to get back to our own, right? So, uh, uh, unless if it's me, then that's okay, I'm, I'm just, but, uh, but I'm thankful for him, and he's going to be breaking open the book of Habakkuk starting uh, next uh, Sunday. Uh, but this five solas, our, our preaching team got together and uh, we got to take one or two of, of these sermons and, and then preach them at different campuses. And so if you recall, when we started this sermon series, uh, Pastor Phil from our Indian Creek campus started us off with sola scriptura. So scripture alone. He talked about the importance, and this is one of the pillars of the Reformation, that it was only by God's word that we are to be ruled and to be governed and that the church does not supersede the word. Of God, but the Word of God is above all else. And then the second week we uh, heard sola fide. I preached to faith alone. It's only by faith in Jesus Christ that someone can be saved. It's not by works, as we'll see today, so that no one can boast sola fide. Then we heard from Pastor Tim sola Christus. The salvation is, is not found in the church. Salvation is not found in anyone else except through Jesus Christ. No other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Solus Christus. And then last week we heard from Pastor Travis, our Aurora campus pastor, and he talked about all for the glory of God alone. Soli Deo Gloria. The underlying foundational doctrine of the Reformers was that God and His glory is the ultimate purpose of all things. And this cry of the Reformation, these five pillars, um, paved the way uh, for all of the Protestant churches that we have today. Now we would say some have gone astray from that. Um, But the Reformation also affected the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church, from the time of the Reformation, also made its reforms. You have the Vatican Councils, Vatican I, Vatican II, which actually brought about some of the reforms that the Reformers were bringing about 500 years ago. And so we trust in the Lord and His work and that the Reformation was for the glory of God and it continues uh, to this day. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus tells a story about... A man who owns a field. And he goes out and he hires some men in the morning to work his field. He has some work to be done. He hires some guys at 6 a.m. They begin to work. He realizes he needs some more work to be done. So he goes out at 9 a.m. and hires some more guys to come work. 
He goes back out at noon and hires some more guys to come and work. He goes out at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and he hires some guys to work. And then he goes out at 5 o'clock and he hires some more men to come and work his field. Now, the guys that he hired at 6 a.m., he told them that he was going to pay them $100 a day. Now, this is my translation. This isn't the Bible translation. But he told them, I'm going to pay you $100 a day. So at the end of the day comes, and all the men who had come to work, they come and gather before the the owner of the field, and he begins to pay them, starting from the guys that he hired at 5 p.m. He gives the guys at 5 p.m. $100. He gives the guys that he hired at 3, $100. The guys at noon, the guys at 9, $100. Then he gets the guys that he hired at the very beginning. How much does he give them? $100. They're mad. They're upset. How could the, the other ones, who didn't work all day long, didn't sweat as hard as I did, get paid the same? They felt that they deserved more. They deserved their wages. They deser- deserved something more than the others received. To the ones that feel that they deserve, it is very hard to appreciate grace. This is the same scenario played out today over and over again. It is played out in people's lives and how they view God. God has never given the credit for any good thing that comes into their lives, no, but God has always given the blame for the bad. Christians who have followed all the rules, who have kept the commandments, and then they find themselves in a tough spot. They, they cry out to God and shake their fists. How could you? I've worked for you. I've kept the commandments. I've done what was right. I've went to church. I've not sworn. I've raised my family the best way that I know how. And now this has befallen upon me. How could you? As if God is in their debt. Today I want to bring us all down to the same level uh, before bringing this back up. The reality of who we are, that we're not entitled, that we don't deserve that which we think we do. This was also part of the Reformation. The church told everyone who was good and, and who was bad. The church made that decision. They sold indulgences to people who gave money. You give money. You can give money, you get an indulgence. Maybe for your grandmother who already died. She's in purgatory. We can get her out of there quicker if you give us some money. The 95 Theses that Martin Luther wrote, primarily against indulgences. During the Reformation, the Reformers fought against the church who said that only the super-spiritual were the ones who could handle holy things, who could handle the Bible and the Word of God. And the Mass was in Latin. And the Reformers translated the Bible into the language of the people and that the services that were held were in the language of the people. It wasn't just for the super spiritual. It wasn't just for the priests. No, it's the priesthood of all believers that everyone through Jesus Christ can have access to God because Jesus Christ is our high priest. He is the one that intercedes for us on our behalf. It's not another man. It's, it's the man. It's the God man, Jesus Christ. The church was a mess. Priests could withhold communion from people. 
And communion was taught to bring forgiveness of sins to the people. So if you withhold communion from people, you're withholding forgiveness for their sins. We all need grace. There isn't a special breed of super spiritual people. We are all on equal footing before God. And guess what? It's bad. It's bad. How bad? Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Number one, all people are dead in sin. Paul is writing to Christians here, and he says this, you were dead, were, past tense, and you walked in that way, in the course of the world. You walked. You were and you walked. If you're not a Christian here, you are and you are walking in. But if you are a Christian now, there was a time that you were dead in your sins. You were. Whether you came to Christ at five years old or 50 years old, there was a time where you were dead. Everyone is dead to begin. So what are some characteristics of the dead? Number one, the dead are disobedient. The dead are disobedient. You see this, not following God, but following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. First, following the world. The way of the world. Our culture, where we live. We were dead following the ways of the world. The ways of the world is this. It's a misguided attempt to find fulfillment and satisfaction in creation rather than the Creator. Romans one twenty five. These people that are experiencing the wrath of God, they're, they're worshiping created things rather than the Creator God. And that's so true for, for, for the dead, for the world. Take, for example, possessions. If I can have enough stuff, if I can get the things that I want, if I can go on the vacation that I really deserve, if I can get that car, if I can get that promotion, if I can get possessions, if I can gain that stuff, that will give me fulfillment. That will give me uh, a fulfillment. Recently, uh, our staff went through Financial Peace University here at Village Bible Church, and one of the interesting statistics was uh, the question was posed to um, many different people of different income levels. The question was this, how much more money would you need to be satisfied, to be content? And don't give me an astronomical number, but just a a realistic number of what would would it take for you to feel good about your finances right now. So people that were earning $30,000, they said uh, about $3,000 more a year. That would, that would do it. People that were $50,000 said about $5,000. People who were making $90,000 said about $7,500. That would, that would make me content. People who were making $200,000 a year said, oh, about $15,000. That, that would do it. People that were making $1.5 million a year said another thirty thousand dollars that would do it see there's there's 
The promise of possessions is that it will fulfill you, but that is not what happens. And the more that you have, the more that it takes to fill possessions. I've said this uh, here before, but I'll say it again. Do we all know that all of our stuff is future landfill and garage sale stuff? I mean, I could be gone today, and and next year you're going to see my stuff at the missions garage sale. It's junk. It doesn't fulfill. The way of the world is a misguided attempt to find fulfillment and satisfaction, not in God, but in His creation. Or in people. Possessions, people. I'm going to find the person that completes me. Jerry Maguire, thanks for ruining everything for us. That's, n- nobody's going to complete you. If you're putting that weight on your spouse, it's, it's going to end in, in, in uh, disappointment. Possessions, people, or power. If I can get power in this world, if I can um, have prestige, if people look up to me, if I can have a, a position where I'm important, and then I'll find my fulfillment, and yet... We could give example after example of those cases where that didn't bring fulfillment. No, rather it brought downfall. The dead are disobedient. The dead follow the world. The dead also follow the devil. See that we follow the prince. You were following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is work in the sons of disobedience. This is a description of the devil. The prince of the power of the air is a sense of uh, the devil who has dominion on the kingdoms of earth. When Jesus was tempted by the devil, Jesus t- uh, was taken by the devil up to the temple mount and, and uh, he was uh, tempted to throw himself off. And uh, God's word says, the devil says, that uh, he, he will save you. The angels will not let you fall. And then he shows him all the kingdoms of the, of the, the world and says, if you bow to me, the devil says, then you will have dominion. You will have power over all of this, the kingdom of the world. The devil does have some power here. The devil is the prince of the power of the air. He and his demons are part of this creation and they exert their power and they exert it, I wrote down this, in two main ways, with deception and distortion. Deception and distortion. First, deception. I remember a movie from my high school years had this quote, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. Deception. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. There's deception from the devil. And the dead, you were dead, believer. If you're not a believer now, you're not sure if you are, you are dead. And the, the devil deceives and makes himself and his work appear good. He also distorts. In Genesis chapter 2, we read what God commands Adam and Eve. Do you remember this story? He commands them not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says this, actually, And the Lord commanded the man, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. Did you hear those words? Let me read it one more time. Here's his words. Listen closely. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. 
Now Satan comes along, the serpent, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, and he says this. He says to the woman, woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He didn't say that. God didn't say it. Those words were close to what God said, but they weren't what God said. That's what the devil does. He distorts. He takes a bit of truth and twists it in order to distort, deceive, lead astray the dead and believers. There's dead people in churches, in synagogues, in mosques, who are following the devil and they don't know it. Here's the deception. That my goodness will make me right with God. Here's the deception 500 years ago in the church. That my goodness, that my righteous deeds, that my acts, that my gifts, that my attendance, that my presence, that my actions will merit God's favor. Another way of saying it is, if I work hard, at the end of my life, if I work hard, and I get to heaven, that there on the scales will be the good that I do. And then there will be the bad that I do. And if I work hard, and if I get there, if I can load up the good more than the bad, then God will accept me and receive me, and I will gain eternal life. Now here's why it's such a demonic distortion. Good actions are good. Working hard is good. Acknowledging that there is a God is good. But there's no scales in heaven. Muhammad Ali said this, I don't smoke, but I keep a matchbox in my pocket. When my heart slips toward a sin, I burn a match and and heat my palm. Then I say to myself, Ali, you can't bear even this heat. How would you bear the unbearable heat of hell? Now that's an admirable quote. But the distortion at the heart of it is completely wrong. Islam teaches that you are saved by what you do and what you don't do. The truth is that you are saved by what was done for you in Jesus Christ. We just sang it. My one defense, my righteousness... Oh Lord, how I need you. It's His righteousness. It's His good work. It's what's Jesus done for us that we have any hope of salvation. But it's a distortion because those are good things. Good works are good. Being a good neighbor is good. Loving people, being honest is good and right. But the distortion comes when we think that merits salvation. That that gets God on our side. That that puts God to our debt. He owes us something. So we can follow the devil even in church. Think that the basis of our salvation at the end of the day rests on us and our hard works of goodness. Problem is that we're dead. We are dead. Characteristics of the dead. The dead are disobedient. We follow the world. We follow the devil. The dead are also depraved. Depraved. The dead are controlled by the flesh. The flesh being the carnal body and the mind. The flesh also practices distortion like the devil. And the dead don't even realize it. 
that which is good, that which should produce glory to God, rather produces selfishness and sin. This is what Paul is writing about. Not only are we disobedient, you see it in the text, we're following the world, we're following the devil. Verse 3, we all lived once in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. That's our flesh, the carnal mind and the carnal body. So that which was good, that which we experience and enjoy in God's common grace, it is distorted in our flesh and we find that as a means to an end in and of itself. Let me explain. Food. Food is a great thing. God created food in his common grace. We all get to experience the the good and the evil. We get to enjoy food. And yet, in our flesh, we do not take that food and in our flesh we do not glorify God for it. That food should be eaten and enjoyed and our hearts should be joyful and thankful to the God who gave it to us. But instead, we center our joy and our praise and our adoration on the food and it becomes a problem. A whole host of struggles, trials and temptations on food and drink. So God made wine. Wine gladdens the heart of men, the scriptures writes. But people center their glory and adoration on it, and it destroys. How about relationships? We have relationships with people, and, and that which, even a husband and wife relationship, that which should, would, would roll up to joy to God and, and, and praise and adoration to Him who gives us these relationships, it centers on those relationships, and it's distorted, and it's ugly, and, 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 and sex that God has given for, uh, for marriage. Don't raise your hand on this one, but how many people have looked at porn in the last week? That which was given as a good thing to give praise and glory to God is distorted and our glory and adoration rests on the created thing rather than the created God, creator God. The dead are are depraved. Third characteristic, the dead are doomed. The dead are doomed. We are disobedient, we are depraved, we are following our flesh, and we're by nature, verse 3, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Children of wrath. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God's wrath children of wrath now when I read wrath I think of myself losing my temper and that's not what God's wrath is God's wrath is not God losing his temper God's wrath is his settled view on sin God's wrath is building because of your sin against you so God God is not like us in that he will lose his temper. God, in fact, gives common grace to all. We've talked about this just with those examples. Uh, The the sunshine comes uh, to everybody. The rain comes to everybody. Entertainment, enjoyment of sports, God gives it to all. Relationships, houses, wealth, cars, vacations. That's God's common grace. Last night I was on Lake Holiday with my family. 
and other family members who had a boat and were out there and just tons of people out there. Man. Just everybody enjoying great night and fireworks. It's common grace. It's God's common grace to everyone. But as we enjoy His common grace, His wrath is building against our sin. And you might say, well, I didn't choose to be born into sin. And that's correct. You didn't choose to be born at all. But by God's common grace, you were. And then since you have been born, you have chosen to sin. Haven't you? We don't need to do the exercise that we did a few weeks ago, right? Have everybody stand up and then have everybody sit down when you committed a certain sin. Yeah, if you're visiting here, we did that at, uh, and made everybody uncomfortable. We found out that everybody likes to steal at Village Bible Church. So, uh, But we're not going to do that because we all know it, right? We know that we're sinners. We know that we're depraved. We know that we've fallen. We know at the end of the day that we're dead. So we're disobedient. We're depraved. We're doomed. But, but, verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. Christians are alive with Christ. We're made alive. Characteristics of the living, this is so exciting. Number one, the living are not dead. Duh, Pastor Steve, we get that. The living are not dead, but get this in your head. What can a dead person do? Nothing. Dead person can't breathe. The dead person can't stand up. The dead person can't move. The dead person can do nothing. For by grace you've been saved. Same for us. We, we have this idea that we can do something before God. To, to make God like us. To, to, to get God to save us. To get God to help us. If, if, I, if I do really good today, at the end of the day I'll feel better. Because I pleased God somehow by, by what I did. But no, we were dead in our sin. We were lost. But it's by God's grace that you are made alive in Jesus Christ. Well, how does Jesus Christ make us alive? We've got to go back to chapter 1 to see that. Verse 7. Paul says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Jesus came to earth, God in the flesh, to die on the cross for our sins, to pay for our sins, for us, on our behalf, so that we would not have to pay for it. So that the wrath of God, we were by nature children of wrath, the wrath of God was placed upon Jesus for us. So that the gospel now is in four words, in my place. Jesus, in my place. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for you in your place. This is God's plan of salvation. This is why it's the gospel, which is the good news, is because God made a way for us to be forgiven, and he did it through his son, Jesus Christ. So that you are here today, you can come to faith in him, and by God's grace, only by God's grace, grace alone, he would save you for all of eternity. This is the good news. The righteous wrath of God that was building against you was poured out on Jesus, not you. Christian, rejoice today. Let your heart be filled with joy at what God has done for you and for me. 
characteristics of the living. The living are alive, duh, and the living are exalted. They're raised up with Christ. We see this right in the text, and raised us up with Him. And then the third point, and we are seated with Christ. That's the living are glorified. So we're exalted, raised up, and we're glorified with Jesus. The scriptures actually say that we will share in the glory of Jesus when he returns. Jesus is returning one day, and his followers, his believers, will share in his glory. That's amazing to me. We'll share in his glory. Glory. I can think of glorious things in my worldliness. I can think of uh, glorious things. I like sports, so I I think of sports. I think of my son watching all these YouTube videos on our TV, and he's watching all the old ones, Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, and stuff. Those are the old ones. And and I see that, and I see all these plays, and it's glorious. And I I see Michael Jordan holding the, the, uh, the trophy after his dad died, and he won the NBA championship again. And there's so much glory to that and just think, if, if I was on that team how great would that be I'd get to share in the glory of Michael Jordan wouldn't that be awesome and it would be so cool but it's nothing compared to the glory of the Son of God the glory of the Creator God coming again to make all things right again and we get to share in that and we get to rule with Him and reign with Him and I don't know what that means but I just know it sounds great and we get to rule and reign with Jesus Christ characteristics of the living we're exalted we're glorified well how are we glorified i'm not glorified right now i sin i struggle with sin i get sick i'm gonna die unless jesus comes again so how are we glorified now what does what does paul mean as he writes this well this is the already but not yet we're made alive um, but we still die Unless Christ returns, but in, in, in another sense, we are glorified already. We're seated with Christ already. And, and this is secured, by the way, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Jesus not only gave of his blood, as we read in chapter 1, verse 7, but he rose again from the dead, and he secured our salvation. At the end of chapter 1, we're given the Holy Spirit as a deposit, as a guarantee, as a seal, that it's the real deal, and that we are his, and we are with Christ, in some sense, right now, in heaven. Meaning, God will not lose you, God will not forsake you, God will not give up on you no matter what you do or where you go or how far you try to run away from him he will not let you go you are secured with him you're seated with him in christ right now this is a glorious promise it's a it's the thing that gives so many believers hope even at the hardest times of life as a pastor i've been with Many, many, many families uh, in the death of loved, lo- loved ones and family members. And, and one of the things that I end up, an illustration I end up going to a lot of times in a funeral sermon is this illustration. I don't know if it's true, but it, it makes the point that there was a, a blind boy out in the park and he was flying a kite. And a guy came up to him and said, are you blind? He said, yeah. He said, well, what are you doing? He said, I'm flying a kite. He said, how do you know you're flying a kite? You can't see. He said, well, I can feel the tug on a string. You might not have all the answers. I might not have all the answers. But we know something, that this is not it. 
that where we stand at a fresh grave, there's something that's not right. And, and we can't really say exactly what's in us that we don't, but we can, we can feel the tug of eternity in our hearts. And we know that we're made for more than this. We know that God has made us for eternity. We know that God has made us for salvation. We know that God has made us to, to have a relationship with Him. And we can feel the tug on our heart. And, and everybody, even if they're dead, they still have that tug. And God, we pray, that would quicken their hearts and make them alive by His grace. It's only by grace. Maybe you're here today, and you... You're feeling that tug. Praise God. By his grace, he, he would say, come to me and be saved this morning. And you could be saved at Village Bible Church today. So why does God do this? Why does God do these things? In the text, we see why. Verse 7 so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God does this so that he can show his grace to you, to me, to the world. Something that we don't deserve, that we can never earn. We deserve punishment, but he's made a way for me, Steve, a sinner. Some people have told me that they, they won't come to church. They say, I can't come to church because uh, the building will probably fall down on me. You know, I've, I've been so many bad places. I've, I've done so many bad things. I've lived, I've lived a bad life. Distortion of the world. That's the distortion of the world to say... God doesn't love you. God doesn't want you. How could you come to church knowing where you've been and what you've done? The world and the devil's there, the accuser, that's what he's called in the scriptures. He accuses us of sin. He brings up the past and holds it up and say, look. And the truth is that God's wrath is building against sin. But the other truth, and here's where the distortion happens they don't want you to hear this part don't want you to hear the dead don't don't hear this dead people the distortion comes and says don't listen to this romans 5 8 god demonstrates his love for us in this that while we are still sinners christ died for us before you clean yourself up before you got good before you got right christ died for you god loves you just the way that you are and that's not a politically correct statement god loves you exactly the way you are but he loves you so much that he's not going to leave you just the way that you are if you come to him by faith by his grace he's going to save you but he's not just going to save you so you can go to heaven he's going to save you to change you and to make you a, a powerful agent in the world for his kingdom to make a difference now in other people's lives for eternity that's what what god does that's the god that we serve he's going to change you by his grace to use you for his glory that's why he does it last point is this this salvation is god's work so we have a summary now of what was just said ephesians 2 8 through 10 some of you have memorized it for by grace you've been saved through faith it is not on your own doing it is a gift of god 
not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's work is for us by his grace. We've never talked about the definition of grace. Somebody said it's uh, an acronym. It stands for God's riches at Christ's expense. It's unmerited favor. His grace, unmerited favor. God's work for us, all that he has done, is because of him and who he is. God's work is given to us as a gift. It's a gift. It's the free gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Have you received the gift? If you have received the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, rejoice today. Rejoice in knowing that you are not who you once were. You were dead. You walked in sin and trespasses. You were deceived by the world. You followed the devil. You were depraved. You were doomed. Rejoice today, Christian. That is not you any longer. You are a new creation. But if you not received it, Receive today. Receive today salvation through Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 9 and 10. It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Come to Christ today. Confess him as Lord. Seek forgiveness of your sins and you will find it. Seek rest for your, joy, your, your soul and you will find it. Come to him By his grace, through faith, right now, today, ask him. Confess him as Lord. Believe in your heart. You will be saved. And lastly, God's work through us is good work. It's good work. It's God's work. You see, in the text, God prepared beforehand the things that we are called to do. So, as we have stated, and as the Reformation has brought about this truth, it is not by works by which we are saved. It is by God's grace. But God has prepared for us works to do as we are saved. But it's His work. God prepared it. So don't forget that. Maybe you feel like you don't know the Bible well enough. You don't know Jesus good enough. You, you haven't memorized the correct scriptures. I, I don't know if I can talk to my neighbor about Jesus. I, I've fallen, I've, I've messed up, and they, they've seen me mess up, and I have got all these different things. I'm, I'm, it's God's work. So walk in those works. Share your faith. Spread the gospel and the good news. Because it's not on you. It's on, on him. When I was um, in college, I sold Cutco knives. Um, yeah, two months I sold Cutco knives. And uh, the knives were phenomenal. Okay? They were awesome. It was so cool. And you'd, you'd, uh, you'd take them and you'd do this whole demonstration and cut through aluminum. And then you'd, uh, then you'd cut like leather. And then you'd take out a tomato, and nice thin sliced tomato. And, and I... I I just butchered, that's the wrong word. I, uh, I didn't do a good job with my presentation with the knives, okay? Brutal. And my first time I sold $700 worth of, of knives. Now, it wasn't because of me and my presentation. It was because of the knives. When you share the gospel, when you live out your faith, when you live for the Lord, 
doing the good things that he's called you to do. Those are good things. It's not on you to save people. It's not through you that people be, are saved. It's through God himself. It's God's work in and through you. So be obedient, walk in faith, and, and share the good news that's been shared with you. When I was in uh, junior high, um, I didn't know how to witness to my neighbor friend, and he was a neighbor boy I played basketball with and everything, so I, he saw me be mad and lose my temper and get in fights or whatever, whatever that was. And I didn't know how to witness to him, but I, I invited him to church, came to see the Gospel of John video. It was the Gospel of John, and, and uh, he went and saw the movie, and on the way home, in the back of our wood grain station wagon, in the far back, me and Derek had a conversation. And uh, I bumbled around, I bumbled, I, I don't know what I was talking about, do you believe in Jesus? And, uh, oh yeah, and, and oh okay, um, and I don't know what happened, but here's what I know at the end of the day happened. He believed in Christ for his salvation. Why? Because it's not my work, it's his work. God has called you and he's prepared works for you to do in your life. Isn't God's grace good? Amen. He has saved us, he's redeemed us, and he's using us uh, for our good and for his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this whole series, Lord, where we got to examine this, these pillars of your word and truth. And I pray, Lord, that you would use us, save us. If I'm praying, Lord, for some who m- maybe need to be saved right now, that they would be saved and trust in you by faith through your grace, find forgiveness and rest for their souls, and that you would give us the joy of your salvation as believers, that we could rejoice that we're not dead, but we're alive in you, and that you would empower us to live for you, to tell others about this great news. Give us the strength we pray today. In Jesus' name, amen.